0: Episode one hundred and eighteen of the Pie the Pilot podcast takes off now.
1: My name is Justin Metters, and I'm a Formula One race pilot. Uh, first, actually, the first paraplegic Formula One or any race pilot that I know of.
0: AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot Podcast, episode number 118. My name is Justin Seams, and I am your host today. I mean, I say this all the time, but really, today is a special episode. I'm talking with Justin from Limitless underscore air underscore racing. I believe I got that right, but go ahead and follow him real quick. Check him out before you listen to this, then come back and listen real quick. But Justin has an incredible story. Justin is a uh, a paralyzed pilot. He was a former expert pro class of road and he was starting to make a name for himself. He, He actually had an accident and unfortunately he had an accident where the bike flipped over multiple times and it left him paralyzed. He was going 150 miles an hour when he crashed on his motorcycle, and the motorcycle landed on him several times, breaking his back and multiple other bones while also damaging his spinal cord. This accident put an abrupt end to his racing career, and he was also a firefighter, but just did not let that keep him down. He actually talked about this, and I actually asked him the question, just uh, what was it like? What was going through your head? And he was just like, I want to keep doing more. Like, I'm not going to let this define who I am, and I want to be a pilot. I've always wanted to be one, and I just want to keep going and going going so through this podcast we start finding out just what he did to become a pilot and what he did to eventually lead him to become a Formula One air race pilot yes that's right he is a Formula One air race pilot I didn't know that was a thing until he started talking about it and it looks really really cool so shout out to Justin for that just uh, conquering adversity and seeing uh, obstacles in his career and his life and he just wants to continue to go after him and not let anything define him and he defines who he is it looks at. Like the success of his career. So, Aviation I hope you enjoy this podcast. If you do, please leave us a view on iTunes. I usually tell you to follow us on Instagram, but the one thing I'm going to ask you to do today is go to our Instagram page. You don't follow, but I want you to click on the link in our bio. It's going to take you to a survey. That survey is for your dream job. I'm asking you some questions about what you would look for in a dream job, and I just want to get a better idea of what a dream job is for for everyone in the Aviation or everyone that wants to become a pilot. So, forward this to all your friends. Forward it to student pilots, professional pilots, people that are 60-year and they're flying for the airlines i just want to know what they consider a dream job and what they would do and what they want in a dream job so please fill that out now, you might be saying I'm not going to spend five, ten minutes on a survey without anything to win. You can win a Pilot the Pilot hat. That's right, I'm giving away 5 Pilot the Pilot hats. You can check those out at shoppilotthepilot.com and you can pick out the one you want when you get selected to be the winner. There will be more surveys, there will be more giveaways, so don't be too sad if you don't win one. But look out for that and please do that survey. That would mean the absolute world to me. Aviation. I don't want to keep any longer. Justin has a fantastic story and I can't wait for you to hear it. So without any further ado, here's Justin from Limitless air racing justin what is going on and welcome to the pilot the pilot podcast
1: oh thanks for having me it's gonna be it's gonna be fun it talking is. about airplanes i'm always excited to talk i about know airplanes. right it's,
0: it's easy for two uh two pilots two av geeks to sit down and talk about airplanes so uh we'll, we'll have a good little conversation Absolutely. It's been a while since I had another Justin on the podcast. It's good to talk to <laughs> someone who has such a great and uh, powerful name doing some big
1: things in the aviation industry. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It's always easy to uh, remember who you're talking to I when you talk right? to another Justin.
0: Absolutely. Well, hey, man, I want to dig- I want to get started. I want to dig in. I want to know more about you, more about your story. Why aviation? What was, uh, are you from a family of aviation? Is this your first generation? Just what was the original inspiration?
1: Um, my dad, uh, flew, uh, when I was a kid and then he gave it up at some point. I don't, I don't remember actually how old I was, but uh, I think he gave it up, uh, when I was young enough that he thought that I wouldn't pursue it, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, that didn't work out. So, uh, so I grew up flying with him, uh, whenever I could. And then, uh, he got out of it and I, uh, and I always wanted to continue with it. What
0: did, uh, what were you guys flying? Was he, did he own an airplane? Did you guys go rent an airplane or what was, what did that entail?
1: Uh, yeah, at first, you know, he was just flying a 150, the same one that he, uh, you know, was training in and everything. And then he ended up buying a, uh, a 172 and that's, that's what he owned until he got out of it.
0: What was it like going up with your dad? Is that kind of some of your your most fondest memories of aviation? Is that really where the bug was caught?
1: Oh, that, yeah, I think that for sure was uh, was the, the place that I caught the bug. And then, you know, of course, watching all the cool uh, movies with uh, airplanes and, you know, Top Gun, all those kind of movies and stuff, obviously, sparks interest as well.
0: I wish they could do a study and kind of relate how many pilots wanted to be a pilot after they saw a Top Gun and see what the effect was, because I think it would be pretty
1: incredible. You know that number's got to be huge. Huge. It has to be.
0: That's why yeah. Top Gun 2 needs to come out. They could, they could solve <sighs> the pilot shortage with one movie. <laughs>
1: I know. It's crazy. If it's good. It's, if it's they're good. They're delaying it now. You yeah. know, so I know. It's sad. Sad stuff, man. Yeah.
0: Uh, so you mentioned that your dad thought that maybe you didn't want to be a pilot anymore. What was, what was the reasoning behind that? Why? would do you think that?
1: Oh, you know, I think it was actually not that he didn't think that I wanted to be a pilot. I think he was hoping to prevent it because, you know, he, you know parents try to protect you from possible dangerous things or whatever not that anything else in this world is not dangerous also but you know it's just one of those things i think but i I really don't think that's why he got out of it i think he got out of it just because he had other life things going on i just always kid that that's the reason that he got out of it
0: gotcha did you think anything else or did you have any other interests when you're growing up at all that maybe you you were thinking that you could also do or once you got in that plane and once you started flying you were all in on flying
1: um, well, I mean, so the, the, um, the motorcycle life was about the same time started as the airplane stuff. So I got my first motorcycle when I was about five and I think, uh, six or so was when I first, uh, got to fly with my dad. So all of that kind of kicked off at the same time. And, uh, motorcycles really took over for a long time. What were you doing? With motorcycles are you racing them? Or were you just riding them for fun? Oh, riding, racing, just doing typical crazy stuff on motorcycles and, uh, and that then racing motorcycles is how I ended up, uh, becoming a paraplegic.
0: So, what, uh, you know, do you mind talking a little bit more about that? Uh, kind of what happened in the accident or.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. I was, um, I, I, I was actually at a race and, uh, um, you know, trying to be competitive and push as hard as I could and just made some, uh, little bit of uh bad decisions or uh uh, bad timing more like in a coming into a turn and uh wait ran way too deep off into the turn i was i did road racing you know like on the uh sport bikes you know where you're dragging your knee on the ground and stuff and um uh just got way too deep into a turn way too fast and had to run off the track and when i ran off the track the uh the runoff area wasn't prepped very well and uh, hit some ruts out there left from, they also raced cars at that track. So the ruts, you know, kind of threw me into the air and off the motorcycle and I went flying through the air around, I don't know, 150 or so miles an hour and landed. And then the motorcycle landed on me a couple of times and left me a bit mangled, so You know, long day, long
0: day. Yeah, definitely a long day. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I'm sorry to hear about that. I know that's definitely not kind of, it was kind of throwing a wrench in your plans, I'm guessing at the time for sure. Uh, Yeah. What was, what's the initial like thought process when something that drastic happens in your life? Like, obviously it's not something that you really look for and you don't really plan for you know so it can really like we said can throw you off but it seems like you have found a way to to counter that kind of news and what some people could consider like life drastic changes but it seems like you have countered that and you have kind of found a way to make a career out of it but was it always like that was there that set of like kind of depression and kind of sadness that kicked in right away
1: Um, you know, I don't, I didn't have what I would consider depression. I, uh, I knew what I was doing was very dangerous. You know, motorcycle racing is inherently dangerous. There's, there's no, nothing around you to protect you in in an event of a crash or anything like that. So I think mentally I had prepared myself for worse actually. So my thoughts coming into motorcycle racing was I would either break bones or I would be dead. You know, one of the two, if I had a bad enough crash. Um, so laying there in the hospital afterwards, I, I hadn't really prepared myself for something in between broken bones and dead, you know, the being paralyzed. So I didn't really know anything about being uh, any, I didn't know anybody that had been paralyzed. I didn't know anything about it, but I knew that, uh, I couldn't just lay there and feel sorry for myself because I was doing something that was dangerous. So I just decided I needed to get on with whatever it was that I had to do to, to figure out this new way of life. So just moving forward, you know, did you know
0: pretty early on, like, could you tell as soon as the accident happened that you were paralyzed or did you, were you knocked out? When did you first realize the fact that maybe you're going to be paralyzed?
1: Um, I was knocked out briefly. Um, uh, I, I woke up actually before the safety workers got over to me and, uh, was laying on my back and, um, it was hard to breathe, you know, and I've, I've, like I said, I've been riding and racing motorcycles since I was about five years old. So I've crashed a lot of motorcycles up with years. So I know that when you get the breath knocked out of you, it's easiest if you roll over onto your hands and knees and your diaphragm tries to expand and all that kind of stuff and you can breathe a little easier. Um, and so I was going to try to roll over. And when I tried to do that, I couldn't, I just, I, you know, I couldn't do it. And I, I, my initial thought was that the motorcycle was laying on top of me and I looked, you know, and I could tell that it wasn't. And, um, I actually was, had, um, had just, uh, I don't know, I think it was six months before that I had graduated the fire Academy. And so I was a firefighter and a EMT and all that. So I kind of had some background with, uh, that sort of trauma. So I just started a self-evaluation laying right there on the ground to see what was going on. And, as i got down further like down around my hips and stuff i could tell that i couldn't feel there so i knew something was bad or wrong so i just tried to hang out there and not move too much to damage anything else
0: yeah and then just obviously let the safety everyone else kind of do their thing i mean yeah that's uh the the trauma from that like we like we kind of mentioned can be pretty tough it's amazing the fact that you kind of took that news and you're like well i can't really feel sorry for myself i knew this was kind of what what could happen, you know? I mean, you obviously yep. said you expected to break bones or to to die. You didn't really expect mm-hmm. anything in the middle. Um, when, you're, when you're going through that and you're kind of making those plans, what, like, obviously you don't think about being a paraplegic and being a pilot or maybe even racing or driving a car. When did you realize that you could still fly? When did you realize that there are still kind of opportunities for you to, sounds like you like to, to be an adventurer and you like to go kind of push yourself to the limit. When did you realize that you could still do that?
1: Uh, you know, it was actually quite a while after my injury. Um, uh, I, I, just kind of put that out of my mind because I didn't think that it was really even a possibility anymore. I, I got into, uh, endurance, like human powered sports, you know, like, uh, uh, cycling and, uh, swimming and triathlon and stuff like that. And then, um, just kind of, I just didn't even think about it anymore because I didn't think it was going to be possible, uh, as a paraplegic. And then, um, I actually don't even know. I think it was maybe in, I don't know, 2005 or something like that. I started seeing some information on, on some people that were, uh, paraplegics that were flying and I started looking into it and trying to research it. And then I was like, Whoa, maybe I can do that after all. So that kind of sparked the bug again. And then it took me a little bit and, uh, got everything figured out and met the right people and start, started making it happen. What's the,
0: process, what's the process look like of actually making that happen? Uh, how did you secure like a medical? What did that look like? Uh, what kind of plane were you flying? What kind of flight school? The, the, what kind of people were you involved with? Like, go, kind of talk step by step with uh, what you had to go through to, to make
1: it happen. Um, so uh, initially, my, my initial contact back with aviation was with a guy named Mike Smith and he Uh, He was the president of the international military aviators. And so I contacted him and uh, talked to him about it. And he was retiring uh, from flight instruction, but he agreed to give me some lessons to get used to flying an airplane uh, with hand controls. Um, And he was just, uh, you know, I'm in Texas up in the Fort Worth area. And he was down uh, near Houston, a place called Kima down there, right on the water. And so anyway, I went down with with him and flew a few times with him before even thinking about the medical process or anything. I just wanted to see if this, um, you know, I'm like, well, let me see if I can figure this out and whatever. So I went up and we flew, uh, and it was just a blast right from the start. It was awesome. I was like, this is definitely something I can do. So, uh, flew with him, I don't know, maybe 10 hours with him or something. And, uh, and then he helped me uh, with uh, locating a set of hand controls so I could train with a with a just any flight school that would you know be willing to do it. Um, and then I uh, actually took a pretty good bit of uh, of searching, and and actually a friend of mine, Doug, uh, helped me locate a flight school that would actually be willing to train me. That was that was kind of a hard a hard deal to overcome. There were multiple flight schools that just didn't want to have anything to do with it. Um, I, I guess just because fear, you know, they had a fear of the unknown of, you know, the whole issue. Um, and then, uh, finally, uh, a, a flight school that's, uh, that I still train with currently, like I do all my stuff with them, uh, Mark Air Aviation in Fort Worth. Um, they kind of took me in and basically treated me like family and started, started training there.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I, lo- I like that. I love that. It's, uh, I interviewed uh, Logan Flood, who was in a plane crash and he was severely burned and, and uh, just was still wanted to be an airline pilot. He was still going through that. And he, he eventually got on with Republic, and Republic is probably similar to the people that the the type of people that were working at that flight school that gave you the chance like hey if you can fly like who cares like who cares what your issue is but if you can go out there fly a plane land and do what you need to do safely like you're a pilot go for it man that's that's kind of the mindset it's a shame that that wasn't the mindset of everyone you know i get the fear of the unknown like insurance rules the world like what could happen and stuff like that but man if people can peru like take them up on a flight see how they do don't just
1: say no right away Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I was. You know, I was like, I didn't think it was any big deal, but I I knew basically the whole situation and they didn't. So I get it that they were worried about the fear of the unknown, but at the same time, I'm like, come on, just explore a little bit and see what it's about.
0: Right. What? So, all right. I mean, I am like, I have no idea what it looks like to to fly an airplane and you said you have hand controls, but are, are there special outfitted airplanes? Is it something you can attach to every airplane or what does, what does a plane look like for, uh, to let you be able to to fly it with all the controllability?
1: The, um, so there are hand controls out there that are, uh, that are designed for several different models of, of aircraft. Um, the ones that I use, uh, for, for the rental fleet, um, are just mostly, uh, for Cessna aircraft. um, and they're actually pilot installable. They uh, they clamp right to the to the rudder pedals, and uh, you can put them on in about five minutes if you're if you're slow at it. So you just you can go out you can go out and rent any basically any Cessna single engine and throw them on there and go fly the airplane what are the what
0: difficulties can that bring up like are obviously it's all about con- managing uh managing momentum managing all the controls at once it, it, was it kind of just a learning curve i mean you, maybe it's just something where you this is just how you learn to fly so you don't know anything different but was it uh is it difficult to to get the throttle to get the throttle to get the the yoke where it needs to go to get the rudder where it needs to go or is it just kind of like second nature to you now
1: uh well now it is for sure, but at the at the beginning absolutely it was It was quite a bit of a learning curve. And then it's, uh, so the Cessna hand control, you're either, uh, there's it's it's quite a bit of procedure to learn to figure out how to do everything safely. Uh, Taxing, so uh, the hand control comes right up, straight up from the rudder pedals and basically sits on the seat right between your legs. So you move it left to right for left and right rudder, and then you pull it up and deploy it left to right for uh, differential braking. Up straight up for both brakes and then left or right for uh, differential. Um and then so you have that control, you have throttle, you have yoke, you have you know mixture, if you have prop or gear or whatever else, um you have to deal with. So you have to figure out how to manage all of that stuff. So ground handling, I have my left hand on the uh on the hand control and my right hand on the throttle uh for taxiing around, and then um on takeoff. Uh, I obviously I have to rely quite a bit on the friction lock. So full throttle, lock the friction lock, switch hands. My left, my right hand goes to the hand control, left hand up on the yoke. I mean, if I'm in the left seat, of course, and, uh, and then fly the airplane off and then, uh, you know, release the hand control if you need to change flap setting or trim setting or whatever. Um, and then landing is, uh, is, is similar. Um, I, well, actually fairly similar. Um, I'm on the throttle until I know that for sure that I have the runway made and then I'm switch hands to the hand control, uh, to, to do any rudder correction and all that kind of stuff. So, so that process, uh, took a little bit of time to develop what approach speed I need to be doing. Like what, what, you know, what, what speed do I want to cross the numbers at and things like that, uh, to have enough time to do all of my corrections after I've finished with the throttle
0: what about uh how a crosswind situations maybe i'm mean, guessing you can't really keep too much extra speed in there cuz it, it's all based on the set speed i'm guessing right like once you get to that speed to carry that then you pull the throttle back and then you're uh you're on the hand controls and put
1: in the corrections you need right right yeah so that's typically I, you know a lot of times what i'll do if it's if it looks like it's going to be uh a, a little bit uh, sporty on landing i'll I'll come in a little bit fast just so i have a little bit more time to get everything situated And, uh, and then just bleed off the speed uh, in the flare. But uh, it's, uh, you know, when I was first starting out, it absolutely was quite a bit of a challenge to figure all that kind of stuff out. But now it's just like a feel and you know, you know, you can kind of set the airplane up pretty easily.
0: You sound—I mean, top from talking for the what 15 minutes we've been on—you sound like that. You're the type of person that that has a challenge in front of them and doesn't make excuses. Just just goes for it and makes it happen no matter what. Uh, learning how to fly is difficult alone. Just uh, being having everything going for you and your own, everything going for you right. Like I mean, all the conditions, all the controls, everything. But adding this in—was there ever a moment where you're like, "Man, this is too much. I can't do this," or were you like, "Nope, I'm a pilot. I'm gonna do this. Like, there's no reason I can't conquer this."
1: Um, I never thought that I couldn't conquer it. The, the really, uh, it actually goes back to one of your earlier questions that I didn't actually fully answer. There was the, the medical part of it was, uh, the FAA really likes to make that uh, difficult on you as far as getting a medical as a paraplegic. Um, the flying portion of it, of course, everybody has bad days flying. And there was days when I was like, Oh man, this is, this is hard work. But, uh, um, the medical process is the part that uh, actually had me the most uh, worried that it might not be able to happen, just because they want you to jump through so many hoops and wait, and then maybe deny you and all that kind of stuff for the initial uh, student medical for my uh, for my private.
0: What did that look for? What did that look like? Obviously, you go see your your uh, your doctor, your AME, and then. They obviously check you out. And then from there, you have other steps on top of that. You have multiple steps, I'm guessing. Or do they send that to the FAA and the FAA has to look at it, get back to your AME and this kind of this constant waiting game?
1: Um, so, yeah. So I went in, uh, got my medical or, you know, went through the medical process with the doctor. And uh, he's like, oh, no problem at all. He was like, you're great health. Uh, you're an athlete. This is going to go right through with no problem, but I have to send it to them anyway, you know, and whatever. And so I had zero worries when I was leaving there. Then uh, I think it was about uh, six weeks later, I get a letter from the FAA says, nope, you're denied. And I I was like, what, denied? And then uh, when I read further into this letter, it says, well, uh, it can go into the review process and all this stuff. And we need more information. We need all your medical records. We need to know. We need uh, letters from different doctors and all kinds of stuff. And we need all of that in 30 days. So uh, I started scrambling. Then I called the medical office in Oklahoma City. And they were like, yeah, you have to have all this in 30 days. And I'm like, well, you're asking for for notes from three doctors, three specialists. I was like, have you ever tried to get an appointment with a specialist? That doesn't happen in 30 days so you know they're like well at the end of 30 days if you uh if you don't have it finished then you have to call us for an extension and i'm like well i can tell you right now i'm not gonna be able to finish that in 30 days can i get an extension right now no you got to call back in 30 days oh my gosh
0: the government bureaucracy takes over huh Jeez,
1: absolutely yeah so it was just it was a hassle and then so i get them their letters i get them all the you know the medical history and mail all that in and then they're like okay well we finally uh, uh, can tell you that we actually received it. This was a couple of weeks later and then uh, we'll review it. And then uh, they reviewed it. And I think one more time they said, they didn't say I was denied this time. They said, uh, we need more information. I don't even what that was. And then I finally got them whatever else it was that they were wanting. And then they said, okay, we'll review it. This whole process ended up taking like eight months. And then uh, finally they said, okay, we, uh, we're going to allow you to have a student medical, um, but you have to do a soda ride, a statement of demonstrated ability, um, and, uh, all that stuff, uh, to actually prove that I can fly the airplane. And then there was an argument about, can I solo before the soda ride or do I need to soda ride before the soda, soda, do I need the solo before the soda, whatever And, uh, ended up, I I had to solo obviously before the soda, because you have to be able to be pilot in command because the FAA doesn't want to be pilot in command and that's who has to go with you some break from the FISDO. So anyway, so that all process all finally worked out. I did the, I did my soda ride, like I think two days before my actual check ride. And it was basically a check ride. So they could have probably signed off my private. During that and soda, there. but yeah,
0: he's yeah. like, All right, well, yeah. you can, you're an examiner, right? Oh, cool. How'd I do? Check? Oh, sorry. yeah, pass me. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. the least you could do for all the crap you put me through, the, through for the last yeah. eight months.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the guy that I went with from the FISDO was super nice, but he had never heard of a hand control, never seen one. He didn't have any idea. I mean, he was just like, I don't know, we're just gonna go out and fly and do some flying and you know, normal private pilot stuff. Well, okay, so we went and flew and. Everything went fine. And uh, he was like, All right, here you go.
0: What's interesting is when people don't know things, they tend to judge it and they tend to judge it and just assume that it's not going to go well. You know, like they, it's good that you got someone. It sounds like, Yeah, he didn't know, but he was open to the fact to give you the chance. Cause I'm sure there's a lot of people in that situation where, they would be kind of fearful maybe a little bit and not know and maybe be more willing to not give you every chance to pass. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. so it sounds like you had someone who who was kind of not necessarily nervous, but just like, I don't know how this is going to go, but if he can demonstrate it, then we're going to make it work. Like, but that's not always the case in aviation. That's not always the case with who you're going to get from your FISDO or it depends on the morning you get them. So it sounds like you got the best person that you possibly probably could have gotten for that too.
1: Yeah, I think if the whole back and forth argument hadn't gone as well with could I solo before the soda, if I would have had to do the soda before my solo, I'm thinking that the guy probably would have been less uh, uh, open about it. But I flew to where I was actually doing the soda ride. So he actually saw me fly in and. So he at least knew I could get the airplane there. Yeah, so. <laughs> clearly you know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, that definitely helps. There at least, so yeah. clearly I'll be okay.
0: What did they ever tell you why they denied your medical at first? With the uh, the very first try, did they ever give you an explanation why.
1: Uh, well, that that initial letter just said that they uh, were denying it on the uh, on the uh, basis of not enough uh, information to provide a medical. They said that there was more information required. and apparently the the doctor that uh, did that medical was supposed to have known that he couldn't send it in without that information. So it was partially. The doctor's fault. It was my fault. It was, you know, it was just, I, I didn't, I didn't have the information. But I mean, it was also that the FAA doesn't really have that information out there very clearly to, to note for people to know what they actually need to do to, to go through the process. So they if everything,
0: don't. if everything would have been turned in correct with all the correct information, maybe you could have avoided that whole fiasco?
1: Uh, some of a fiasco. Yeah. I think there would still be quite a bit of a back and forth on it. I don't know if they, I don't think they would have sent a denial letter. Um, but, uh, I think it still would have been, um, I, I think it still would have been some hoops to jump through for sure. I think that I, for whatever reason, I, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily want to say that they don't want people with, uh, anything like what I've got, you know, paraplegia or whatever, not to fly. I think they just want to make sure for sure that you want to fly. <laughs>
0: yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, you have to be able to fly
1: and the FAA, I mean, they can't just give
0: everyone a, a medical and just hope for the best, you know? Like sometimes they might have to do their due diligence and they might have to research it. I talked to a guy who, um he's just coming up now. He's actually the very first pilot to get a first-class medical with type 1 diabetes, taking having insulin. And he had to go through similar kind of things with that, but his took four or five years of convincing him, showing him years and years and years of data and how he's managing it and how he can still fly and how he's still doing it. And he actually—he's the first one to ever get it. It, it the FA—it's—it's it's a necessary evil sometimes, you know. Like you don't—you don't like it when it affects you, but when you look at the big picture and you kind of think like, "Well, that we have to have something like that. We have to—we have to do some kind of due diligence to make sure." And it does suck when you're the one that gets picked on, you know. Uh, right. But yeah, I mean, case—he—he he mentioned that it's kind of a case-by-case case situation, and there's no like blanket clearance for anything. So it sounds like that's similar to to your situation too.
1: I'm sure it is. The numbers are probably pretty low as far as uh I don't actually know how many paraplegic pilots have, you know, have got have gained a medical from, you know, whenever people started flying with uh being paralyzed. But uh I'm sure the numbers aren't very high, so they haven't I'm sure they haven't developed any sort of a. this is exactly what you have to do type of situation as procedure and standard.
0: And everyone's different too. Everyone's mindset's different. Yes. Everyone everyone takes a, a situation differently. So yeah, definitely. Um so kind of so we talked about the medical kind of going back to you flying for the first time. So obviously you went down to Texas with someone that or in Houston with someone that was used to this, that kind of knew about this. But when you went to your new flight school, I'm guessing that the instructor you had, this was new for him too. What was it? How was he able to adapt his teaching to help teach you how to fly while being patient and like learn, kind of learning with you and how this works and how to how to manage everything at once?
1: uh it was definitely uh we were both learning absolutely um but he didn't (laughs) it was so the guy that that mark that owned the the company uh the 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 flight school uh decided that he was going to do my uh initial instruction and uh so he just looked at every you know i I put the the Hank troll in the airplane and he looked at it and saw how it functioned and his his whole family showed up they were all super interested in the whole thing and they all they all wanted to see, you know, what it was and how it worked and how I got in the airplane and, you know, how everything uh, was going to work out. And uh, and we just went and flew. And uh, he, the main thing we did, we did a little taxiing because he wanted to make sure that he could override me on the rudder if he had to. And that was no issue there. And then uh, we taxied around just to to get comfortable with everything. And then he was like, oh, let's go flying, man. So we go <laughs> fly yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah, let's do it, so that's awesome we we taxied out and took off and uh had a good time and um just played around a little bit i think i I think it was we just yeah, i think it was about an hour or something we flew around and then he was like, okay, let's go back and then went back and I set everything up, and then he went ahead and landed the airplane i think i mean of course the first time in of course, I wasn't gonna land the airplane, but um I think he mostly wanted to see how uh, everything reacted on a landing, you know, with with the hand controls installed and everything, because it does it does change the the feel of the rudder pedal a bit with my hand control installed. It adds a little more force for him, uh, so he just wanted to see how everything went. But it was it was perfect. It was no big deal. He landed the airplane beautifully and. Uh, We taxied back and we're kind of giggling about the whole thing, basically all the way back to the hangar.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. That must have been a great feeling when you got there. Like, dude, I can really do this. Like, this is actually going
1: to happen. Absolutely. It was. It was awesome. And then uh, as soon as all that was settled, that's kind of when I started the the medical process. Once I had actually found somebody that was super willing to train me. And um, uh, so I kept flying, but it was kind of, you know, slowed down quite a bit until that process was cleared up because obviously you don't want to be ready for your solo and then can't do it. So, uh, so we just slowed the process down and just kept me flying just to kind of keep the bug going and, and, and stay, uh, you know, to get uh, trained, but not, uh, not just be sitting there wasting a bunch of time.
0: What was uh, what was the so wow can't talk sorry <laughs> what was the support system like with uh, family friends loved ones when you first initially told him me like you know what I'm gonna be a pilot where they're like what what do you mean you're gonna be a pilot or they're like yeah let's do it like let's figure out how to do it
1: um I think with all the crazy things I've done over the time, over my life I think they were all just like oh okay yeah sure this doesn't seem like a big deal they will figure it out uh, yeah no problem so uh, everybody was really cool about it um, no one no one said, are you kidding one? Another thing that's, you know, not quite safe, but, uh, uh, I, I no one, no one def, definitely discouraged it. If they, if they didn't like it, no one said they didn't, you know, they, they weren't happy about it. But, uh, um, at, at one point during the whole medical process, um, and so my mom is always, uh, you know, supportive of the stuff that I do. And my dad, everybody is. But my mom's been always, is always the worrier, you know, like moms are a lot of times. And uh, so at some point during that whole medical crazy process, I was kind of like, oh, man, I just don't know if this is going to happen. And I was on the phone with my mom and she was just like, well, you're just going to have to make them make them make it happen. And I was like, What? And I'm like, if my mom, the warrior, is telling me this, I guess, I guess I should probably definitely make them make this happen. So that's pretty great advice for mom. Yeah. I just got re-energized about it at that point and just kind of, okay, we're going to, we're going to make sure that this medical stuff happens.
0: Yeah. Make it, make it happen, man. Speak it into existence. Go after it, do everything you can. I'm sure if this went the other way and maybe they said no you would want to know that you did everything that you possibly could to try to make this happen so go go out fighting man like all 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 your tools that you can put towards this like go put them to use
1: yep absolutely and that's what i did i went after it
0: what was your mindset when you were Doing your training, maybe even past, like you got your medical now, you go, you have your student medical, you have a uh, third class, whatever it was uh, in your, your training, you're doing this. What was your, did you have a goal? Did you have, I want to fly for like, I want to fly for a living. I just want to fly for fun. I want to do this, do that. Did you have any specific goal going into it or did the goals come later?
1: Um, at first uh, I would just decide, you know, I was just thinking, I just want to do this for fun. This is a lot of fun. And uh, you know, I, it's just going to be an outlet basically to a freedom that I didn't have before. Um, and and a way to kind of get away from my, uh, you know, my daily existence of wheeling around someplace in a wheelchair, not that being in I have no problem with being in a wheelchair. I have a great life on the ground, but getting, getting in the airplane is just a whole different freedom. Uh, and you're just kind of the airplane and you just go fly nothing else matters just go fly the airplane um so that was kind of my goal for for you know at first was to do that and then i then i thought you know it would be cool if i could do this for a living um and then it kind of progressed into i would eventually like to be able to do this and teach other people their uh paraplegics or or any you know whatever disability uh to be able to do this so that's kind of i haven't i haven't gotten to that point yet i don't have my cfi yet um but that's that's eventually what I would like to do is try to, uh, Oh, well, I, I would instruct anyone, but, um, to, uh, you know, kind of a focus on, uh, teaching other disabled pilots.
0: That's cool. I think that's a needed part. Cause I'm sure when you're going through this, uh, you're one of the first instructor you found probably played a very instrumental role in helping you out and proving that you could do this. So seeing, I, I think a lot of times, whether it goes for a dis- disability, whether it goes for, if you are, uh, an, just anyone, if you seeing someone like you, whether it's another girl pilot, what's another African-American pilot, what's another, whatever, insert anything here, just seeing that someone like you can do this in this industry, I think can really help build your morale and really help you with that goal that, Hey, if they can do it, I can do it. You know, why not
1: me? Absolutely. I think that's, I think that really is key to, to be able to, uh, to see that your goal is attainable. You know, you know, like mine, uh since I already Mike was uh that started me out with the with the uh with the International Witcher Aviators, he I could see that he had already done all of these things that I wanted to do. Like he was a pilot, he had everything figured out, he was he was a in flight instructor for I don't know how many years, forever. Um, and he did a bunch of uh commercial uh flying too. He did um firefighting operations and uh, all kinds of stuff. So I was like, man, he can do he can do all that stuff. I, I could figure it out. So he a
0: path now you can follow it and you can do your own thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: What um so obviously you uh, you had that goal, so that's your goal in training. Um, I guess I'll kind of go back to training. Did you have any? What was the most difficult thing you went through with training? Was it kind of uh, uh the knowledge part of aviation? Was it the physical flying? Was it if instrument rating, commercial, private? Uh, what what did you struggle with the most when you're going through your training?
1: Um, man, I don't know. There was, there was, there was, you know, there was obviously lots of hard days where you're just like, Ooh, I'm going to have to do this like a hundred more times to figure that out. (laughs) But, uh, I think, um, the least in control that I ever felt of an airplane, uh, was the first day we did tailwheel instruction.
0: That'd be interesting. I've never flown a tailwheel, so I'm guessing I would be the same going into that bad boy.
1: It was it was definitely an interesting day. So uh prior to my tailwheel training, uh with the same guys, you know, uh Mark was like, sure, yeah, we'll figure out how to fly a tailwheel, whatever. And uh so I actually had to design a hand control for a tailwheel because there the n- n- one did not exist. Um and then so uh, obviously, had to do testing and ground testing and approvals and all kinds of stuff. And then, um, uh, so the finally, the day that uh, we were going to go uh, fly the airplane, we taxi out and head down the runway and, uh, got it off the ground. It was, it was pretty squarely down the runway. And then, uh, once I got off the ground, uh, it was, it was just uh, pretty eye opening as far as uh, the differences between a tailwheel and a, tricycle gear
0: <laughs> did you trust your own contraption that you built or was it kind of like uh i don't know if i can i don't know how to build anything like this i trusted the physical
1: i trusted the physical actual hand control i just didn't know if i was going to be able to operate it <laughs>
0: a lot of trial and error there huh
1: absolutely yeah there was a lot of trial and error there was there was a lot you know the design process for the control how it would function if it needed it to function so that you know Like the Cessna, like I said, I have either yoke and uh, hand control or uh, throttle or mixture, flaps, whatever. Um, In a tailwheel, you got to have everything basically in your hand all the time. Well, in your hand or at your feet or whatever. So um, I had to figure out how to be able to do pitch and roll, how to do rudder, how to do throttle, how to do brakes, everything without taking my hands off the controls, basically, because you need the rudder all the time. Um, so I have a normal, uh, you know, normal stick, obviously I'm not changing that in the airplane because that's already there. This was my first, the first tailwheel to fly was a, Citabria. Satabria. Um, so I had to figure out how to have differential braking and throttle in addition to a rudder control. So on the rudder control, so my rudder control is actually, on the left side and it moves forward and backward for left and right rudder. And then I had to figure out how to integrate a, well, what I came up with was to integrate a, a motorcycle style twist throttle with the throttle quadrant on the airplane. So I had to design a system to integrate with that. Then I had to design a system to use the brakes that are already on the airplane uh, that I could activate with my hands, so I designed a system that would uh, cable operate those, uh, you know, the regular uh, master cylinders, and figured all that out finally. So then i had I had a uh, right brake on the uh, on the center stick, and then I had a left brake on the hand control, which is on the left side, and then throttle also on that hand control. Dang.
0: Are you an engineer? Is this like something that comes natural (laughs) to you or is this like a a reading Chinese for the first time trying to figure this out?
1: Well, I I do a lot of design and fabrication work and I was uh, planning to go through engineering school school and started engineering school and decided I was done with school. I'd already been to school a couple of times before that. So um, I was tired of going to school. And uh, so I, I designed most of it myself. I have some friend's I like to surround myself with people that are much smarter than me. So I just had people that I could call and say, what do you think about this? Should I, you know, and then so we kind of went through the whole process and made sure everything was going to be safe and work properly. But uh, for the most part, I designed that whole hand control myself. And then I had to have some assistance from uh, some people much smarter than me to get a few bugs worked out of it.
0: Talk about your mom's advice coming to fruition, even in other ways you didn't imagine. It's like, all right, how are you going to fly to I have no idea. Well, I'm going to make it happen. Just like your mom said, you know, it's like any obstacle in your life, it seems like you have just come after and you have been like, well, I mean, yeah, this an obstacle, but it's just another step that I can take, another step that I can overcome, make something and adjust it to what I need and how to make this work. So that's really cool.
1: Yep. I think um, you just always have to be, uh, flexible and then try to figure it out. And if, if you don't have, you know, like I didn't, I, I know that I'm not the smartest person on earth, but I know that I know people that are much smarter than me, so I can go talk to them about it, you know, and bounce ideas off of them. And, um, you know, I just, uh, I think you always have to just continue pushing until you figure it out.
0: What uh did you ever get any kind of pushback from people that you saw in the industry? Did anyone kind of uh just be like, well, you can't be a pilot, or did you get any kind of uh hate, or has the uh pilot community been really good and really receptive?
1: Mostly receptive, most of the time. they there they're obviously, I mean, no matter what you're doing, flying or driving a car or you know eating a sandwich, somebody's gonna have something to say about it, you know, but but for the most part, everybody in the flying computing community has been very supportive. There, there are a few here and there, which are just oddballs that are, uh, you know, that are weird about it. Like, oh, you fly airplanes? How could you do that? You know, just whatever. Ooh, but uh, Let me show you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, you would like to think, I mean, obviously, like you said, every community, everyone on the Internet is going to have those trolls and those people that just don't agree with no matter what you do. And that's going to come in with no matter what you're doing in your life. Uh, you can't let those people determine who you are. You can't let those people determine what you're going to do and uh, just consider them another obstacle to overcome and just prove them wrong. Use that as fuel. Be like, look at you, man. I'm I'm flying better equipment than you are. Like, what's, what's holding you back?
1: <laughs> yeah. For the most part, everybody that I've come in contact with in the flying world has just been... Most most everybody thinks that it's really cool and they want to know how it works.
0: Yeah. I mean, that was one of my first questions I want to ask was, was, how? How do you do this? And I, I think it's awesome. And I... I have no doubt that we get up in the plane and I'm flying with you. You could probably fly a plane almost better, probably better than me because I'm not the best pilot in the world. So, I mean, (laughs) who cares? If you can fly a plane, that's all that matters exactly yeah as long as it's done safely
1: i think everybody's fine with it yeah
0: good that's awesome i love hearing that because i mean you never know you never know like how a community can 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 react to stuff like that so it's great to know that the aviation community is is treating you like one of their own because like we just said if you can fly a plane you're a pilot if you can do like who cares about everything else you go up and fly you're part of the community
1: Yep. Absolutely. There's just, it's just, you know, it's really the aviation community is like a, is like a family, you know, there's every family has great people and every family has those people that are like, (laughs) what? What that's well said.
0: Yeah. Uh <laughs> why is he here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You no, know, no, you're definitely right. You're definitely true. Uh, how about examiners? Did you have the same examiners for every check ride? Did you have different ones? Did they uh I'm sure that's another thing, kind of talking about them coming into the unknown, not knowing how, how it's gonna happen how it's gonna work, essentially what we just talked about. But were your examiners all pretty cool?
1: Uh, I've actually uh, been very lucky and was able to use the same examiner the whole time. The very first time—that's uh, kind of a long story—but uh, my very first for my private, uh, they they had already based you know through my whole training, he had been seeing me flying because he does a lot of uh, the uh, of the uh, check rides for the for that uh, flight school and. And, uh, so he would see me, you know, going to the airplane or taking off or whatever. So he already knew that I was there and doing it and all that stuff. And he trusts the flight instructors there. Uh, he knows that they're not going to let somebody get to him. That's not capable. Um, so I think in that sense, I'm, I'm really lucky. And the fact that he, uh, does all of the check rides, you know, all around that area. So, um, it was, it was pretty lucky that I'm able to have him and, and, uh, most of the time when i've done a check ride with him it's more of a um i mean it's a check ride don't get me wrong but also it's a learning experience for me because almost every check ride i know they're not supposed to be teaching but almost every check ride you learn something
0: absolutely so yeah. um you just hope was, what they teach was, isn't such a big thing that they have to fail you right afterwards <laughs> yeah
1: absolutely <laughs> absolutely but uh no he's he's he, he's been really really uh, supportive of the whole thing and thinks that it's uh, it, that it's really cool too and uh, just you know, wants to help me get there.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love hearing that. And uh, I like, what, just the unknown—you never know how people react. But I love that you found a good community. You found good people. You found the good in aviation and the good side, and they can help you out. Uh, so, all right, you are progressing through your career. You know, you're knocking out check rides. You're you're doing this. When did uh, when did your your current kind of what you're doing right now, come into your mind that you could do this? How did you even think about F being an F1 pilot or if I said that wrong, whatever, sorry, but how did you yeah, even yeah, think about right. just like what you're doing and what you're doing right now? And I guess we haven't talked about it yet, but what are you
1: doing? Okay. So, um, I started following Formula One air racing, uh, even before, um, before I knew I could fly again. Um, just because it was cool. It's racing. it's airplanes, you know, I thought it was really neat. At that point, I didn't really think it was something that I could get to. I just thought it was neat and wanted to this was even before, obviously before I knew I could even get hand controls and all that kind of stuff. So it was just something that I loved because it was racing um, and competitive, and the airplanes are really cool. So you know that was that was neat to me. so i uh, I just continued following that all along even, you know, even after I was training, I, you know, I was, uh, telling anybody who wanted to hear about it, that, about air, uh, air racing. And, um, at some point I decided, uh, that I needed to, uh, try to figure out how to get into it just because it was something I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting pretty good at flying airplanes. Maybe I could fly one of those airplanes. So, uh, I just talked to as many people as I could about those airplanes And, uh, you know, uh, what it was like to fly them and, and, you know, how, how hard are they to fly and, um, things like that. And then I started, uh, I started meeting people, actual, actual racers and stuff like that and got involved with, uh, a couple of the race teams and, you know, people that, uh, had been doing it for many years and, uh, all of them were like, yeah, why why couldn't you do it? You could absolutely do this. So, um, I, most of the airplanes that are out there, I'm a pretty tall guy, so most of those most of the airplanes that are out there are built for uh, normal pilot height, which is what, like 5'8", I think, probably. Um, and I'm 6'4", so I don't really fit in one of those airplanes. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll have to build one. But I've, ne- I've never built an airplane before, so I'll have to figure that out too.
0: And just another obstacle uh, for you to overcome, huh?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So I uh, started started building an airplane and then, um, you know, like, like a lot of projects, I started out thinking, oh, I'm going to make it just a, uh, just a normal, normal airplane. I'm not going to do anything fancy, just going to be a basic racer just so I can get into it. And then as the whole thing snowballed into, I want to have the fastest airplane possible. Uh, you know, and it just to kind of all went into, everything at that point was like, Oh, okay, well I can make this a little slicker. I can make that a little lighter and just continued on through all that. And, um, in 2016, I thought I was going to have my airplane ready to race, but it turned out that that was a dream. <laughs> Building an airplane takes a lot longer than, uh, than I thought it would. But uh, anyway, so I thought I was gonna be ready in 2016. I went through pylon racing school to get my racing license uh, or I had signed up for it, and uh, my friend Philip, who is now the president of Formula One, uh, uh, I had been helping him with his airplane and working on it and stuff like that. And uh, he knew that I wasn't going to finish my airplane in time, so he was like, "I think my my buddy Jay, uh, I think uh, I think he's not going to race this year, so maybe we could put you in his airplane." And I'm like, "I probably wouldn't fit in it, and you know all kinds of stuff." And I, I kind of didn't know if I wanted to fly somebody else's airplane, so anyway, he, he calls Jay right up right then, like, you know, on, a, uh, uh, on a uh, conference call. And, uh, he was like, Hey Jay, I'm, I got Justin here on the phone. And I have only met Jay a couple of times, super nice guy. I'm like, why would this guy let me race his airplane? He doesn't even hardly know me. And, uh, he was just like, you know, Justin's air, Justin thought his airplane was going to be finished, uh, for PRS and for, uh, for September for the races and all that stuff, but he's not going to be finished in time. And, He's not sure he's going to make it and all that stuff. And before he could even ask him, Jay was like, oh, yeah, does he want to borrow my airplane?
0: <laughs> That's amazing.
1: And uh, Philip was like, yeah. And he was like, okay, where do you want me to bring it? So he, yeah. and he was like, he's going to have to, uh, he's going to have to build hand controls and everything for ratnam am And we're like, yeah. And he's like, okay, I'll send the dimensions of pictures and you can start designing it. So quite a crazy process. And Jay's uh, a little bit of backstory on Jay for just a second. Jay's daughter is a Paralympian and all kinds of stuff. She's an amputee. She did uh, downhill ski racing and cycling and all kinds of stuff. So he, he was already familiar with a disabled community as far as sports goes and all that stuff. So, and, and I had been around the same world as his daughter and all those kind of races are not, not, not ski racing, but uh, uh, adaptive sports and all that stuff. So he knew that I was already, an athlete and i guess he trusted philip's you know uh opinion of my flying so he was he was willing to do it
0: Man, that's amazing talk about great community you know talk about friends talk about people helping out everyone pitching in it, it takes a village or well my buddy chris from angle tech like i say it takes a, an airport to raise a pilot so i mean like just the community involved and someone being willing to to let you fly such a precious thing like that's a that's a lot of money he's given up to you know like <laughs> that's not a joke at all
1: It it was amazing to me. I'm like, I've met Jay like twice and I've talked to him for maybe a total of 30 minutes, you know, in those two times. And he's just going to bring his airplane wherever I need it and let me rip it apart and put hand controls in it, which was just, couldn't believe it, could not believe it.
0: Oh, so, yeah, I mean, obviously for me, i really have no idea what formula one air racing even looks like. Like I'm guessing you can't have 20 planes out on a road, like, or out in a, a course, like racing each other, trying to pass each other, like NASCAR or motorcycling. Uh, is, is it like that? Or is it time trials? Is it like uh pylon racing? Like what, what is it? What's even a race look like?
1: It, it's not 20 airplanes, but there are eight of us at the same time. Um, we, uh, there are pylons. So we have our courses, three point, uh, one miles. Uh, it's an oval and, uh, it's all left you know, it's like kind of like NASCAR. It's all left turns. Um, and, uh, uh, like, uh, unlike NASCAR, we don't like to bump into each other, but otherwise would it's, not be it's good, a huh? lot <laughs> the same. It is, it would not be good. So we start out, there's all eight of us on the runway. It's a all, it's a formation takeoff. Uh, we have a flagger, uh, that drops the green flag and we go, um, so typically, uh, well, almost always the, uh, course is immediately to the left of the runway. So basically as soon as you get off the ground, you don't hardly climb, you know, you go up to about 50 feet and that's where you stay the whole time. Um, uh, and you just, you know, you get, get on the, you go on the course immediately and, uh, and start racing. So we do nine laps. Uh, there's a zero lap, which is the start lap and then eight laps after that. So. Um the timing starts from the time the green flag starts but they don't start counting laps until you've gone around one time. That sounds like it may be interesting. Then, especially passing yeah. people can be a little a little
0: hairy sometimes.
1: Yeah, we get we get close as a matter of fact last year there was actually a midair which did not have any injuries. Uh only only airplane injuries but uh they they bumped and separated and messed up some uh wing panel and a and a propeller and uh everything came out okay though they were they were that was actually in my race uh i was out front leading a race and uh well i heard it on the radio normally i don't i I can't really the airplane's so loud at race power that you can't really hear much but uh, i actually heard two maydays almost at the same time and i'm like that's weird two maydays at the same time and then i obviously got my head back into what i was doing but uh uh, after I landed, I I didn't even think about it anymore. My my crew came over there. Like, did you hear about the midair? I'm like, what midair? And they were like, Oh yeah. I was like, Oh, the two maydays at the same time. Got it. Yeah. So that that was pretty crazy. But, uh,
0: That's great. That is crazy. Like you said, it's kind of like NASCAR, but I feel like there has to be a little more respect for the other person in the other airplane, you know? Because if if you bump into someone, if you screw someone over, you're not talking about just like messing up them in the point standings or losing a race. You're talking about them losing their life. And like, it's got to be much deeper than, I'm guessing you guys have a lot of respect for each other and you take it very, very, very seriously.
1: We do. We do. It's, um, you know, through training, through flying together, through all that kind of stuff, uh, we obviously all uh, need to trust each other and be comfortable flying off of somebody else's wing because you may be off their wing the whole the whole race, you know. So they want to be able to know that they don't need to be watching you the whole time. They need to be watching what they're doing. So,
0: how do you go uh, about passing someone in trust. a
1: situation like
0: that? Like, how do you like how do you set it up? How do you make sure it's safe? How do you know where the comfort zone is of you? How do you know when to not get any closer, like draft off someone?
1: How do you know when to make your move? Essentially, too. Um, so, um, unlike other racing that I've done, uh, our airplanes are at full throttle the whole time. You know, you're at, at, as much as it'll do the whole time. Um, unless of course there's some reason like a, a accident avoidance or whatever, but, uh, typically the airplanes at full power the whole time. So, uh, the best way to pass is if you have a ton of closure speed and you can just get right around them. The other way to pass is that you'll do a stack pat, you know, a stack, uh, roll in uh, so that you can, uh, stack on top of them in the turn and still see them clearly and they can see you. And then when you roll out of the turn, you're above them and a bit to the right. So we don't do inside passing at all. That's not allowed. Uh, just because it puts, you have to, you you really for safety, you need to be only looking in one direction for a pass. If you're looking for somebody on the left and the right, you know, it's adding lots of complexity and danger. Um, The only the only time you can pass on the left is if they are so wide that it's not safe to pass on the right. Um, But uh, so so you do a stack turn and then as you roll out of the turn, if you roll out, uh, you should have altitude on them and you can just point the nose down a little bit and hopefully shoot by them. If you have uh, if you if you maintain good energy through the turn.
0: Do you have like a crazy T cast on board or you have a spotter that's watching the whole time? Like, Oh, you can pat. he's not below you. You can go down, go down.
1: No, I just have, uh, the only avoidance thing that we have in there is our eyeballs. Uh, you just look in that you can't have any contact with the ground at all. <laughs> we have to, uh, just have really good situational awareness. We have, <laughs> we do have one little trick though. It's kind of cool. Um, in the turn, uh, you can look down and look for the shadows of the other airplanes that had to see uh, what they are. And a lot of times it's pretty cool. You can actually tell exactly what airplane it is by looking at the shadow. And, and, uh, of course we look, uh, on the straightaway, we look to our right to see, you know, who might be there or whatever, but, uh, you just have to try to have good situational awareness and good trust in the other pilots.
0: So I'm guessing this is the type of sport where, you know, it, it's probably somewhat coveted in uh, that part of aviation. Like this might be like something a lot of people want to do. Uh, what is the process of someone starting that? What is the process of someone like me that hears this conversation or even has this conversation and is like, well, I want to be number one. I want to do that. What would I need to do to set myself up for that?
1: Um, I think a a lot of people do want to do it, but the actual amount of people that have done it, uh, I believe the statistic was that more people have summited Mount Everest than have, uh, become race pilots. But, um, so to, to start, you have to obviously be proficient with whatever class of racing that you want to do in that, in that airplane. Um, you can't show up to a uh, rookie school and not know how to fly. <laughs> so that's hugely important, obviously, that you need to be able to fly the airplane. You need to be pretty good with formation flying. You need to, and, and obviously you need to know how air racing works, uh, as far as the rules and things like that. I mean, you learn those rules when you get there, but it's a good idea to have a pretty good understanding of them before you get there. Then you have to, uh, go through a uh, pylon racing school to get your racing license Um, and so you go and you do a bunch of classroom, a bunch of procedures, a bunch of, uh, uh, emergency stuff. And then, uh, finally you get to go out and, um, do a check ride to make sure they, uh, you know, they check you out to make sure that you can safely operate the airplane. Uh, and then you, and then you get to go out on the race course by yourself at first and, uh, do flaps laps around the race course to make sure that you could do safe laps. And then, uh, eventually you get to go with other airplanes.
0: Is it a, how do you get to, to actually race in formula one? Is it a process? Is it a couple of years out? Like say like for me starting now, how long would it take for me to, to qualify, to be selected? Or can anyone do it that, that has the the resume?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, as long as you have the hours and you have the experience in the airplane, um, really getting the experience in the airplane is the big part. Um, you just need to, uh, fly the airplane as much as possible. Just, they're not they're not normal airplanes they're not uh they're not forgiving airplanes at all they you have to fly the airplane constantly if you let your hand off the control the airplane's gonna do something that you probably don't like um so you're constantly flying the airplane it's not really a uh, a cruiser type airplane they' they're fun to fly don't get me wrong they're a lot of fun to fly but you have to fly them the whole time um so that's the big thing is flying the airplane and getting used to the airplane after that you have to uh well, you need to be a member of if you want to be a Formula One pilot, you need to be a member of Formula One. And then uh, you have to sign up for school. And uh, I think that I think you can anyone can sign up for it. But I, I think it's actually I can't remember. It, it, it's like an invitation thing. So um, if they have too many, of course, they can deny people. Um, I, they only allow so many per year to go through school. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you just have to pass your, uh, your, uh, racing, your pollen racing school. It it can, it can be a fast process if you, if you've got the airplane and the time to train and all that kind of stuff. But if you're building an airplane, it can take, it can take quite a while as you saw. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, That was helpful when you had a
0: friend that would let you use their airplane.
1: It is that, that, and that was a crazy experience all by itself right there. Just, uh, learning how to fly his airplane.
0: I'm guessing eventually you were able to finish your airplane and you, and you kept with that.
1: Yep. Yeah. It actually took me another year and a half to finish it after when I actually thought it would be finished.
0: Yeah. So your timeline was a little off then, huh? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah it was it was i, yeah. I was that was definitely uh, uh way off on my timeline man i hear people about building their own
0: airplanes and they whether, whether it's like an rv or vans or whatever it is i'm like i do not trust myself to build an airplane let alone one that you're gonna go racing and uh, go full throttle all the time it's like when i if i put it together i'd be like oh yeah that wing is definitely falling off you know it's like there's no way i trust myself to build an airplane
1: Well, it was, uh, you know, I was, I was pretty, uh, comfortable with my fabrication skills, but as far as the carbon fiber part of it goes, I didn't know. Um, I knew almost nothing about carbon fiber. So that was kind of another one of the parts where I, I had to, uh, um, get some education from people that knew a lot more about it than I did. And then from, from some of the best people, as it turns out with that kind of stuff. Um, I, I, I don't know if you, uh, how much you know about propellers for experimentals? But Cato propellers, uh, they they uh, Craig Cato uh, built has built a lot of Formula One wings over the years, and he and Paulo Escold uh, designed a wing, and uh, it, it, that's the wing that I have in my airplane. But they, you know, they were building these wings, and they were only going to build four of them, so I was able to. Talked them into building one of those for for me, but I wanted to build the wing, uh, or I wanted to at least be a, a big part of building the wing. So I actually went out and uh, to Craig's shop in California and lived in his shop the whole time and built that wing at his shop with him. Yeah, that was a pretty fun process, and I learned a ton in that process too.
0: I bet, and I mean, that's just kind of you being knowing everything about your airplane, right? Like you put it together, no one knows it better than you. It's the relationship that you have and. It, it can probably help you out if you feel very comfortable with you have.
1: It it does it really does if I, you know there is not a part or piece of that airplane that I don't know. Uh, and, and if the airplane makes a weird noise or if something happens, I'm like, oh yeah, I know what that is. So it's it makes it really nice as far as uh, feeling comfortable with the airplane. That was same same way with the first flight on the airplane. I was real comfortable because of all of that.
0: Because you knew, yeah, because you were the one yeah. that was putting in the blood, sweat, and tears for that bad boy. <laughs> what uh what's next for you? What's kind of is this kind of what you what you want? Is there uh, any other goals that you have or any other kind of uh opportunities you see that might come up for you in the future?
1: Um I'm going to you know, I'm going to continue racing for for as long as I can, I think. Um I want to do other things too, because we have, you know, only a limited number of races a year that we can do. So any, any challenges that I can come up with, of course, I love challenges. So, uh, at some point, you know, my, like I said, my friend, Mike, uh, was into, uh, uh, he did firefighting for quite a while and that really p- piqued my interest. So at some point I might, uh, see if I can get involved with that a bit and, uh, try to conquer that challenge. Um, but I, I think I'll always, at least uh, for for quite a while now, I'll probably continue racing as well. Um, but uh, there's tons of other things I would love to do in aviation. You know, some maybe some speed records, and who knows?
0: You're out there to do the uh, whatever is craziest and try to have as much fun and push things to the limits, huh?
1: Um, to to a certain extent, I don't I don't want to go beyond those limits for sure. I, I don't want to you know, I'm not, I don't, I don't think I'm crazy. I just like, uh, you know, I think I like challenges for sure.
0: The more extreme side of it the safety side, but more extreme than say, uh, flying a corporate jet or an airline. Sure. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think, um, I, you know, those, those, those jobs come with, uh, dangers and challenges too. Um, that's just not the side of it that uh, has interested me as much. I mean, the, that I'd probably have a blast doing that too. It's just a whole different kind of thing.
0: Absolutely. and I, I like how you said that, those jobs have their dangers too. Cause no matter what you do, it's important to remember that flying is inherently dangerous. You go up in a one you're taking a danger, you know, it's like, there doesn't, not one thing is more, I mean, there are some things that are more dangerous than others, but it, you just have to remember every flight, you have to be very cognizant of what you're doing and you have to understand that, Hey, something bad could actually happen on this flight and you have to know how you'd react in that situation.
1: Always, always. Yeah. I think, you know, it's all relative. Everything you do is, is, is some kind of a risk you know so you just really have to be prepared for that and uh, I, just like my my very first time the, the instructor pulled the pulled the throttle on me and like okay what are you gonna do now every every flight every flight i'm ready for the engine to quit no matter what i'm flying what are you gonna do now well i just crap
0: my pants so i'm gonna do yep. that first then i'm gonna land on the plane
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs>
0: yeah. i gotta get some new pants on for the news comes to interview me and to make sure i look good <laughs> All right. I have one question for you and then I would do a little rapid fire section, but this question kind of goes on for every single pilot listening. I always like to say that every pilot is going to face some kind of roadblock. They're going to face something that comes up in their career where they're going to fight or flight. You know, they're going to, they're going to keep going, overcome the obstacle, or they might let it break them and they might think they can't do this. But coming from someone that has just gotten over so many obstacles that doesn't even really see him as an obstacle that's going to deter him. You see it more as an obstacle of how you can overcome it. And you just want to search those out almost and just like, just prove to people that you can do it and just, just go after it and and do it. Uh, what's your advice to someone that's facing an obstacle? This doesn't have to be anyone with a disability. This goes out to just just your general day. You're facing an obstacle. Maybe you're struggling with crosswinds. Maybe you don't think you can land. Maybe you're just struggling with something internally in your life. But what is your advice, uh, if you have, like, some some tips or just advice that you give to someone when they're facing a challenge or an obstacle in their life or in aviation?
1: Um, You know, I think... what I always what I always like to do is find whatever weaknesses that I have and then train them. Always train those weaknesses, because that's, you know, a lot of people shy away from their weaknesses because it's a weakness. But if you can turn a weakness into your strength, you've really conquered whatever that is that you're, that you're working on. So I think that's a, that's a huge part of it is just always, always work on those things that you're weak at.
0: I agree. And do you think it's a, it's a mindset thing too? Like, how do you, how do you train your mind to do that? Because like you said, when people find a weakness, they want to hide it. They want to go away from it. They don't really want to acknowledge it, but how would you, how can you train your mind or how did you have to train your mind to, to acknowledge those and be okay with having a weakness?
1: Uh, I think that actually goes back to a lot of my, uh, athletic stuff. Like, uh, you know, like I said, I was, I'm i I'm, I'm six, four, so I'm a lot heavier heavier than a lot of these other guys that I was racing against as far as, uh, cycling and all that kind of stuff. So these guys, we, we'd be going up a hill or something and I would just be dying going up a hill and, uh, they just look like they're having fun at it. So I kind of had to trick my mind into thinking, Oh, I, I like climbing hills. I really do. You know, until I actually got pretty good at it. And then, so I think it's just, you know, you just gotta have, you, you almost, uh, what's that a fake it till you make it. Yes. <laughs> fake it till you. Make it. <laughs> So I just had to talk myself into into uh liking those things that I couldn't do well um until I actually figured out how to do them.
0: That's good advice. I, I like that. I mean, fake it till you make it definitely to an extent, but it definitely can help, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, well, I think it's just, you know, you just really have to I, I, like you said, I think it is a mindset and then you just have to convince yourself that doing, you know, making yourself better at that thing is going to obviously make you better, but it's it's hard to do. I mean, it's 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 a constant battle to try to to try to do something that you're not good at.
0: It is because it's embarrassing. You want to be good at everything, you know? It's like whether all your friends can do it and you can't do it or you see everyone else being able to learn how to land, you don't know how to land. it's it's hard for you for some reason. But it, it doesn't mean that you're, you're weak as a person. It just means you have something to sharpen and you have an obstacle and adversity in your life. Everyone's going to face some kind of adversity in their career, and their life. And uh, the, you can either run or you can hide or you can go fight it like we talked about. And you can take that obstacle and use it to make you better. And it's a mental thing. You have to train yourself to do it. It doesn't come natural. And some days you're going to be good at it. Some days you're going to be bad at it. Just take everything day by day and keep going after it.
1: I 100% agree with that. Every day you have to be
0: Training. Yep, 100% agree as well. uh So I have some rapid fire questions for you. These are just uh, a list of aviation theme questions, and you are just to answer as fast and the first thing that comes to your mind with no explanation whatsoever. Okay. All right. What's your favorite airplane? Uh, let's do the big boys. Let's do an airliner. What's your favorite airliner?
1: An airliner. Uh, that new Dreamliner is pretty sweet. The 787. I agree. What about a corporate jet? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, uh, what is it? The Sovereign, because you can do, well, you don't need explanation, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can explain it a little bit. Oh, I just love that it, it's short field performance. Yeah. It's pretty cool.
0: I fly uh, a Latitude, which is kind of a fat oh, yeah. version of the Sovereign. So, yeah. Landing performance is even better. Yeah. What, Um. Well, let's do a small piston plane. What's uh, your favorite small piston plane?
1: Oh, it has to be my airplane, Limitless.
0: Yeah, there you go. Did you name it? Is that the name of the airplane you have for it? That is. is
1: it? Yeah, Limitless Air Racing, the, awesome. and we call the airplane it. Limitless. That's cool.
0: Uh, so I have uh, an ugliest airplane. Mine is the Piaggio. Just for some reason, I think it's an ugly plane, but I get a lot of flack oh. for it. Uh, what do you think is the ugliest airplane you've ever seen, or do you not have one?
1: Ugliest. Oh, man, that's tough. Um... I can't think of one actually. I, I I I think I have a respect for all airplanes. Yeah. Um, but Well, it doesn't come I mean, out. of some ugly ones. I'm sure there I are some ugly ones. I can't just think
0: of one right now. It's all good. No worries. We'll uh, we'll circle back and see if you can think of one by then. But it's okay. all good if you don't. Uh, what is your favorite thing about aviation?
1: Uh the freedom of it. Absolutely, the freedom of it. Uh, just to be able to go do, you know, go do something that a lot of people aren't be, aren't able to do.
0: Who in the industry would you like to meet most? They could be living or they could have passed on.
1: Oh man, that's a tough one. Um, I don't know. I think it would be pretty, pretty cool to meet the Wright brothers.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: I think it'd be pretty cool. To talk to him, be like, so yeah.
0: you want to, you want to fly? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. What made you think of this? Did the alien come visit you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Here's
0: one. What is the hardest approach you've ever flown?
1: Uh, I flew, uh, in IFR training, I flew one down to minimums for the very first time. And that was, it was the hardest and also the coolest because it was just so neat to pop out and see, uh, or uh, while you're popping out to start seeing the rabbit. Yeah.
0: To see it all come together and all work out and see that it works. You're like, Whoa. All right, cool. Your heart's beating a little bit, <laughs> but it's, oh, it's yeah, pretty cool. For sure. All right. What's your favorite airport you've ever landed at? Favorite.
1: Oh man. Um, I don't know. That's a tough one. Though. They're all kind of fun. Um, well,
0: let me ask this. Do you have a least favorite airport you've ever landed at? Just one maybe the conditions are bad or just like you
1: just don't like? I don't know if I want to name names on that one. <laughs> That's funny. All there, right. is, there are a few airports that I've landed at with some pretty horrible runway conditions that, uh, you know, potholes and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Well, maybe I you call like, them out, I we'll not get them want fixed. to come back here. Yeah, That's funny.
0: I've been there before. I've seen that before. I'd had one up in Michigan. It was like a private golf course area, but the runway was in really bad condition. I think it starts with a B. I can't remember the name right now. Mm -hmm. And then Belmar is a pretty bad airport. If anyone's ever been there, they'll probably know about that too. That's up in uh, the Northeast. Okay. Yeah. But look out for those. Uh, Yeah. All right. Would you rather fly IFR or VFR?
1: Um, It depends on what I'm flying. I love IFR, uh, especially if it's been... Uh, bad on the ground for many days and you can pop through and you got the sun and everything and so that's kind of a a mood lifter yeah
0: i would agree coming up especially i lived in the midwest and live in chicago right now but there's a lot of great overcast days and being able to pop up and see the sun is great very healthy yeah great for the soul yeah would you rather fly over mountains beaches or
1: cities um Mountains and beaches, I thought. Mountains are cool to fly over for sure. Um, Yeah, I think mountains.
0: Airbus or Boeing? Boeing. Favorite airline livery?
1: Ooh. Um, That's a tough one. I don't know. Southwest has some pretty cool pay jobs sometimes, but uh, that's a local here, so I see those all the time. Yeah.
0: Would you rather fly long trips or short trips? So when I say that, I mean like one very, very long trip or maybe like six up and downs in a day.
1: Uh, I like up and downs. You get to visit a bunch of airports and see, you know, talk to different people and stuff like that.
0: Right, what's the biggest regret you have in your career so far, your
1: aviation career? Uh, not getting started sooner with it. Just uh, not, you know, if I had known earlier that I could get into it, I would have I tried to get going earlier.
0: What's the biggest win in your aviation career? Uh, when I won the national championship with my airplane. Oh, snap. No big deal. Congratulations, (laughs) by the way. That's a big deal. Thanks. Thanks. That's cool. Are you, I guess I never asked, are you, uh, are you one of the better, um, racers, I guess I should say.
1: Uh, I think, you know, I don't think I'm a better pilot than anybody else out there for sure. I think a lot of those guys have way more experience than I do. Um, I think that, uh, that i'm a safe pilot and that i'm i'm able to do it uh safely which is the big thing
0: good answer i liked how you how you navigated that one you know (laughs) i'm the best (laughs) all right here's uh one of the last ones so you are flying your own airplane maybe maybe not your own airplane but you're flying an airplane you're going you're stopping at a new airport you're hungry you take a crew car there's no social distancing you can go anywhere you want to go get some food where are you going
1: Oh man. There's so many good places that you can land and go get food. Um, whew, I don't know. That's a tough one.
0: Are you more of like a, a local guy trying new things or you go to like always got to get a burger or you just want to get some food and get out and get on the road?
1: Oh no, definitely local for sure. I like, I like to go visit, you know, local little, little, uh, places that, uh, you know, small, uh, family owned, uh, restaurants and stuff like that. That's definitely the place to go. Perfect.
0: Well, those are all the questions I have for you, Justin. You have uh, cool. successfully finished the podcast. It was very good. I enjoyed talking to you. And I love your story, man. I love that there's just no obstacle that you see as not being able to overcome And you put your head down and you, what your mom said, you make it happen. I mean, you are the, you're the CEO of your career, of your life and you, you make it happen and you do what you want to do and you put yourself in the position to succeed. So I think that's a a very valuable kind of way to look at life and go about life. And I hope if anyone's listening to this, they can take that away from that and they can apply that to their life and understand that no goal is, you can overcome any kind of adversity to get to the goal that you want. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story, man.
1: Well, thanks for having me on. I really had a, had a good time doing
0: it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to aviation and we can do it forever. We could probably talk for a couple more hours too, right?
1: Easily. <laughs> <laughs>
0: awesome, man. I hope to meet you one day in person yeah. when, when social yeah. distancing over. So we got to make that happen. But sure. uh, I hope you have a great day and uh, stay safe out there. You, you as well. All right, man. Thank you so much. AV Nation, thank you so much for listening to episode number 118 of the Pilot the Pilot Podcast. I truly, truly appreciate it. Uh, it's a great story. Justin just blew me away, and I just have such a high amount of respect for him. And I'm so thankful for him coming on the podcast and sharing his story. If you want to follow him on Instagram, it's a limitless underscore air underscore racing. And he deserves millions of followers because his story is just that great. Aviation, I don't want to keep you any longer. I hope you guys are staying safe. I hope you're washing your hands. I hope you're getting a chance to fly. I hope you are just uh, just enjoying this crazy world that we're living in and uh, just continue to hang in there. Uh, flying jobs will hopefully come back, continue to train, continue to do all this. It looks like flight schools are picking up. So uh, that's a good thing to hear. Hopefully corporate airlines come after that. But Aviation, I don't want to keep you any longer, like I said. I know you got busy days. you got a lot to do. So thank you for listening to today's podcast. As always, happy flying.